Today's episode started as a text message from Dave and dove deep into a long conversation about values, culture, and environment. So if you're looking to hire or be hired, this is a great one. You are listening to the Fifth Hammer Growth Podcast, where we help you find harmony and imperfection as you journey towards success in life and in business. Today, we're going to dive into a conversation we started over text, thanks to Dave, and really looking at how do you assess core values when hiring somebody. So Dave, why don't you just start by sharing the question you posed to us and and let's go deep. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I was going through another, going through rounds of interviews and, um, you know, and, and it's funny because as I'm interviewing for this particular role that's like in operations and my experience with this role in the past has been or like collaborating with this role hasn't been very good in fact it was like you know i have i have since i think mended that relationship but and i think she would probably say the same thing about about me is it was like the worst working relationship i've ever had so as i'm like leaning in this time to thinking about that i was like you know, I've been thinking what, what led to that? And, and, and words have popped up in my mind, like vulnerability and humility and self-awareness. There's like the three that really just keep coming to mind and not for just the other person for myself as well. Yeah. Because there, there are, are moments there, especially over the last three to five years, I have not had a dose of humility. I have not been vulnerable with people that I, I need to build relationships with. I mean, maybe with my team, right? But, but not, not others. The larger yeah. organization. Well, it's easy to be vulnerable with people that you have mutual trust with. Absolutely, right. So the the thing that's interesting is what you're talking about is how do you how how do you be vulnerable with somebody you don't have trust? With? Yeah, and if they're not, if you like try to deliver that you know, you show capacity for vulnerability, and then they don't. It's not reciprocated. It's not reciprocated. Then you, I would in this in this former relationship, I would shut shut down down and be like, you know what? And then take it personally, create a story in your head. And that's where self-awareness needs to kick in. Right. And sort of emotional intelligence, but there's another story. But so I've been thinking like, as I'm interviewing for this role and I also have an executive coach helping me with some of this stuff too. And, um, I'm like, how can you assess that in one conversation? And I came upon like a, a list of questions that I've been asking that I think kind of directionally get me there. And what I mean by directionally is just a sense of it. Like yeah. my gut, does it ping my my gut to say, okay, I think this person has these qualities. So I don't think there, I don't know if there, and maybe we can talk about this too. I don't know if it's as much about core values. Is it as it is um, personality or traits or behavior? Well, let's so okay. let's back up a little bit yeah, and, okay. and kind of can kind of break this all down because first of all, are those good traits in a workplace? Hmm. Let's yeah, let's talk you about You know what that. I mean? Because you're 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 jumping to the assumption that because of a past relationship that was challenging. Sure. Right. And and here's the deal. We all know that there are those in the workplace that you're gonna have challenging relationships with. I'm, I'm going through one right now. Um, oddly enough, 
it's with another salesperson, right? For some reason, me, my personality and salespeople have conflict and I'm, 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 I'm acknowledging, I'm self-aware of that, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, I think the only two times that I've dropped an F-bomb in a meeting for a company has both been in relationship to a salesperson, right? And, and, and that's, and, and that's the self-awareness. And so I'm trying to back off and identify. So my, the question that I have is, is it, are those good traits in the workplace? And, and how do you cultivate that? If it's not, let's not even talk about in an interview process, just in general. I love that. Why why does self-awareness, humility, and vulnerability matter? Okay. So let's, let's go down each one. Okay. Self-awareness. And let's, let's flip it on its other side. If we worked, if you worked in a culture where nobody had any self-awareness, what would that look like? Do you think? Dude, it would be, it would suck. <laughs> it would, I mean, you think about it because when I think of self-awareness, I, I, I instantly go to extreme ownership, mm-hmm. right? Being self-aware means that your ability to take ownership over a mistake and I'm, I'm looking from a negative standpoint, right? But there's also the positive side. Being, but being able to take ownership of a challenge or a mistake or, or a situation, right? Um, you have to be self-aware in order to accomplish that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that to me, the, the, there's a lot of layers of self-awareness, but it's understanding what you're good at, what you're not good at, what gaps you have, what um, you avoid, what you want, what you don't want. Right. To me, that's like, those are a lot of layers and there's applications to that in a workplace setting, like work skills and aptitudes and abilities and goals and ambitions, and then just life in general. But we're multifaceted, multi-passioned, like human beings. We try to compartmentalize and separate work from life. And, and the reality is we can never fully and probably should never fully. Right. Because there's a blend. It's a, Venn diagram. Right? Well, and it's a, and but like, sorry, that's a different tangent. But no, no, but so self-awareness. To your, this is what I love about you bringing um, an anthropologist into this. Yeah. 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 She reminded us that it's, it exists on a spectrum. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that any, you know, there may be it's people not a out pass there, fail, right? It's not like there. So on the spectrum, there's zero self-awareness and there's fully self-aware. And I don't know yeah. if anybody's ever fully, but you're, you exist along that spectrum. So just, I just say like, I would challenge it at first. Just imagine working in an environment where there was zero. And to me, self-awareness in the workplace where that's applicable is actually knowing what makes you, what triggers you. So, you know, we could do a whole episode on the self-awareness, but like to me, it's, it's what makes you trigger or what triggers you because that's what creates an emotion that then creates a story in your head that then creates like yeah, a, maybe. like a conflict or unhealthy conflict. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so then like, let's talk about the next one, like on the, on the spectrum of humility, Imagine working in a place where people have zero humility. And I'm not saying that as if, wow. just imagine, but just imagine right. it for a minute. Yeah. Would that be good imagine or bad? the combination of zero humility and zero self-awareness. Yeah. Bunch of egotistical Dude. people running around, not even aware of their own incapabilities. <laughs> and the thing that I started to think about, somebody asked me, like challenged me on Twitter a little bit and said, you don't get vulnerability or humility with such questions. And I said, well, but. I don't know if you get any of it with such questions. You just get like a sense. But at the same time, I think as you said, my own life, humility, you need to have some humility to start the journey of self-awareness. You know, you almost, you almost have to have to this be able like, to accept your shortcomings. Yeah. Like I had to have like a rock bottom moment 
to then them personally, like to go, okay, wait a minute, this is not working for me. What is going on? And then start really examining my weaknesses and shortcomings and then accepting them because they're always going to be a part of you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, you know, what's funny was when you're talking about Spencer, when you brought up, imagine in a workplace where nobody's self-aware and nobody has humility. I mean, that's like the epitome of like the 1970s um, sales room. You know what I mean? What's <laughs> that right. SNL skit? That's like, these are, oh, what's the dude's name? It's uh, anyways, he, he's like, it's, it's total, like just doggy dog. Like it's, it's, it's really not. I mean, that's 50 years ago. Dude, 1970s was 50 yeah. years ago. Give me the good leads. Like Glenn Glare. Yeah, Glenn the Glenn Glare. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. The Glenn Glare leads. Yeah. These are the good leads. <laughs> you don't get these leads. You don't get coffee until you get the sale. <laughs> right? You're not good enough for these leads. Uh-huh. But it's it's that it's that mentality that I think it, society is shifting. And honestly, in some cases, I think it's shifted too far. Because think about an environment where people are not humble, but overly self-aware. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Has to be a balance. I mean, we talk a lot about with the the principles of Fifth Hammer, how you have you can have two opposing um, opinions existing in the same room. You can only have that happen if you are both self aware and humble in being able to accept the fact that those two opposing forces can exist in the same room. Yeah, right. and I I feel like you, and that's why I mean I think humility and self awareness are actually unique or tied together somehow. I don't know if you can be self-aware and not have some humility to get there, which then leads me to vulnerability. And we talked a lot about this as sort of a downfall of trying to build an executive team in the past is there was, there was no vulnerability. And Patrick Lencioni talks about this a lot. If you look at the five dysfunctions of a team, the bottom, the, like the foundation of that pyramid in the, on the dysfunction side, but is the absence of trust. So if you were to say what makes a strong team, it, the foundation of it would be trust. And so when I really dig into that, I'm thinking like, I know we're scoping out and then we'll scope oh, back yeah, in. Yeah. Like what makes you trust someone? It's in a lot of ways, it's, it's that I've shared something with you that you can use against me and you never have. You've never hurt me with it. You know, you've never shared it with someone else. You've never, you know, you've never stabbed me in the back. So I, I, I Dude, trust. I'm sorry. I just want to say I'm sorry. <laughs> what? Well, I, I'm just all through my head all these times that I've made fun of you over things. And then like, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, some of them sting. <laughs> yeah, but also, but also that's some of it's dude stuff. I know. I know. But like, I don't know. I'm sorry. No, I, I love well, you. dude. I love you, man. Thank you. <laughs> um, but but no, that's so that's just all swirling around my head. And it's really deep. So how do you get to that in one conversation? Well, and and how do you get to that? So there's there's two scenarios. I love the I love the fact that you're going through the situation of a hiring process right now. And how do you hire in a way that allows you to identify is he a good culture fit? Yeah, right. Or is that individual? Is that person? Is she? Is are they a good culture fit? Yeah, that's the application of all of this for your company, yes. right? And that's the popular topic, right? Right. Is using business core values to help assess culture fit, to get the right people on the bus, to right move in the same direction, right? That's the business, very popular kind of relevant conversation today for mm-hmm. it, right? But there's so many wide applications for it. Yeah. 
Yeah. At the same time, it's how do you go into a situation where you're not hiring? You're going into a situation. You recently joined a project that you're like, you have to deal with the people that are there. We've joined a project where we have to work with the people that are around us. Right. So we've come into this and now we have a group of individuals and some of those are easier to work with. Yeah. Right. And and then how do you, how do you build culture or if, if culture doesn't exist, how do you build that culture? So it does. Cause that's the other challenge. It's like, you can't force culture onto people. Mm-hmm. You can hopefully present opportunities where you can grow culture. Culture needs culture is like a, well, it's interesting because there's this, there's this principle about faith and faith is a seed, right? So if you plant a seed and if it's in good ground, it'll grow. And if you plant a seed in bad ground, it won't grow, right? So faith, if, if you think about culture and faith being together, this is coming together in my mind right now. So apologize if I stumble over this, but if, if trust and, and I would say a synonym to trust is faith in each other, right? Is your foundation for a building a good team and building a good culture. It's the same concept. If, if you have a culture that you're trying to plant into a, an, an environment that's not good ground, then you've got problems. It'll never grow. Mm-hmm. That culture will never be there. Right? So what you're saying, and from what I'm hearing you, is the good ground has properties. Right? Some of those properties are, are um, vulnerability, are, are trust, are um, self-awareness to be able to build and cultivate the culture that you want for it to be able to grow. So then really you're not hiring for culture, you're hiring for environment that will create a culture. So there's probably, I mean, I can't imagine it, but you know, there's people out there. It's like, I don't want any vulnerability in this yeah. business. Yeah. I don't want any, <laughs> I want people coming in here that want to be killers. Yeah. And that's probably like the, the old school sales room or yeah, the sales yeah, yeah. pit. But at the same time, if you have a culture that's already grown, you don't want to introduce anything into that environment that will take away from there, right? So you, you're, you're kind of, there's two stages to this or, or multiple stages. There's how do you hire to build a culture and how do you hire to keep a culture? And I think that, you know, with the project you're working on right now, I've been impressed with the things that you've been saying about this company and the culture that they've created. Cause they have a pretty stellar culture, but they're a small team, mm. like what, less than 30, 30 employees, 15, 15 employees. I mean, yeah. it's easy to maintain a culture. Like it's almost, they're living in a vacuum. Sure. Right. Or, and it's easy to maintain a culture when you don't introduce new elements to there, but you were in, you were brought on as a new element. Yeah. And, and our, in our CEO, my, is the CEOs was brought in as a new element and they actually had been through some some trauma organizational trauma you know based on who who the face of that brand and something that publicly happened and um they're they're almost like a scorned family where the father left and with you know the father left with no explanation there's some healing that needs to happen there and they're also but they're also very green it's just it's a it's a it's a it's very interesting and I, so we, we don't want to bring anybody into that environment we want to bring people into that environment that are going to be knowledgeable and help teach and but also be mindful of the past and and how we move forward in the future and like as i'm just talking to people 
I've, you know, it started off like me like saying, I want to find somebody that, that seems genuine, but I'm like, what's at the heart of being genuine? It's that they're open and they show humility and they show some vulnerability. Well, then what does that look like? Well, vulnerability, like the definition of it is it's the ability, it's the capacity to share things that you could use against me. And, um, as I'm talking to this one particular person who's going to get the job, he was giving very shielded cold answers. And when I gave him an example of what I was looking for, you could see this visible, like, it's almost like he left his body and like a new body showed up. Like he, he slumped his shoulders and he sighed and he said, okay, okay, well, here's the thing. <laughs> I'm a people, I know he said, I'm a, I'm a, I can be a yes man. And when that happens, I take on too much and I get overwhelmed and then I get emotional about it and irritated with my team and the people around me. And I went, I got goosebumps. I'm like, Dude, that's exactly what I'm looking for. You were able to get that out of a job interview. Yes. Like so, from a candidate in a job interview in what, like 30 minutes, it was 30 minutes. But what I had to do was I had to lead with yeah. vulnerability. So I asked him, what are your weaknesses or what are your strengths? Blah, 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 blah. Strength, strength, strength. What are your weaknesses? Then he said he did the old strength posed as a weakness. Yeah. I'm too direct. And sometimes people don't like that. Well, that's not a weakness, dude. Like I, that's not a weakness. And then I said, what do people like least about working with you? Most people have never asked that question. I've led teams, built teams for almost 20 years. I've never asked that question. I had a CEO ask me that one time and I went, shit, I don't know. I thought I was good about asking for feedback. But I realized I'm such a people pleaser at times that I don't give people the opportunity to not like me. Hmm. And like as I so what I when he gave me these answers, I, I had to then lead with vulnerability, which made him feel safe, I think, to open up and share that with me. And I was like, out of all the interviews we had, that's the only guy that was willing person that was willing to do that. Um, so I left that interview with a directional sense that he's going to be a good fit for this environment. Somewhere on the spectrum, he demonstrated a capacity for these core values, right? right. Now, and this is where like how you ask the question matters, right? The question you ask determines the answer you get, right? If we're asking, can you assess someone's core values in one conversation? No, right? Can you get a potential directional sense or a pulse on what their capacity is for a certain core value? Sure. But how often and how frequent and how much that core value shows up in their day-to-day, you'll never see until you're in their day-to-day. Right. Exactly. And this is why Malcolm Gladwell, he wrote a book called Talking to Strangers. And it's all about this. How good are we at judging others and assessing right. others? Oh, that's what that's about? It's 100% about that. Judges in courtrooms, policemen in, in their field, giving traffic tickets. Like It's all about how you assess and judge other people. Oh, I'm adding another book to the list. <laughs> well, and you know, what's interesting about that, Spencer, is in our conversation, um, our text conversation, you even made the comment. Um, and I love the fact that, did you notice he, he was like, go take him to get a beer? Like, Oh, <laughs> yeah. Love yeah. That? Oh, yeah. Um, you, you do. You have to spend a little more time out of a scenario, put him in. And this is where I went with it, is you have to go situational. Mm. In your in, in your in your conversation, you have to ask situational type questions, which is what you did. Like, tell me what, tell me, you know how what you know. Your question was how how uh, strengths weaknesses, yeah, strengths weaknesses, and then people working with you and like having a hard time working with you, right? 
And you gave them, you gave them an example, which was your situational example. And it was interesting because you go through that text message. I'm not going to say, I like it came down to, yeah, you got to ask situational questions. Yeah. And, and you have to be able to craft a question. And this is the art of interviewing. And it is extremely difficult because the same question that you ask one person, it's not going to work for the other person. Yeah. You have to be good enough to be able to listen interpret and then ask a situational question follow up to get better answers from them yeah and that's difficult yeah you actually taught me that it's not necessarily a black and white thing where they either want the job or they don't you know like sometimes people need to be sold on it a little bit and at the same time you might have to bait them a little bit to see if they're going to if they're going to meet you where you're at. And that's essentially what he did. He showed me that he was a billing. He was, he had capacity to to meet my vulnerability. Whereas in the past I hadn't experienced that with this other person. Um, and And, and that, yeah, go ahead. No. And, and where I, where I kind of am taking it with this, with this concept from Malcolm Gladwell is that yes, ask these questions. Yes. Demonstrate vulnerability and see if you can get it back. Yes. Ask situational questions when you can, when it's possible, take them out in a social setting, see how they interact differently, put them in a working interview, see how they work on the job, right? All those things are good, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Like let do those things because they matter, but we over obsess about the hiring and interviewing process. And yes, do good, like do best practices, but until you start working day to day, knee to knee, elbow to elbow with somebody, yeah. you won't really ever know. Yeah. You'll get a sense, you'll get a pulse, you'll get a hunch, you'll get a feeling, you'll get a glimpse, but you won't know. And so that, and that's what, that's, that's basically the uh, outcome of, of Malcolm Gladwell's book is that we suck at it as a human species. We're terrible. Machines are better at it than we are because there's no subjectivity. There's no feeling. There's no emotion. And what he's saying is then, so that's where I've really anchored, and you've heard me say this a ton, is in onboarding and in offboarding. The 90-day. If it's not working out, then be able to offboard someone in a, in a professional and quick manner, yeah. right? And for you and for them. And, um, but I am fascinated, and I do love the conversation around assessing core values for, for others, but even for yourself. Right. And it's like, if you were to then flip this on yourself and say, okay, how do you identify your own core values? What do you do to identify your own core values? And that was part of the conversation we had is that you're trying to see culture fit by taking your core values, creating questions around them, seeing if people have them as their core values. But the majority of people don't even know what their own self core values are. Mm -hmm. If you ask the three, like ask each other today, what are your core values or anybody? Most people wouldn't be able to then just rattle, rattle off a list of three to five values that matter most to them. And, and that's just intellectually. Yeah. Right. I think some people can, and you've done exercises. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm talking about taking it personal, right? Where you have outlined, right? There's infamous Benjamin Franklin's well, you know, 13, that, 13. Yeah. I was going to um, say that it's, I read when I was 19, I was fascinated with the Revolutionary War and the Founding Fathers, and I read Benjamin Franklin's Art of Virtue, right? And that got me thinking specifically about like, what are my core values? And it was interesting because Ben, Ben, if you go through that book, he didn't, he held these, these values 
And some of them were like temperance and mm-hmm. indulgence and like all of these critical values. But that dude, and, and he's like, look, I'm okay if I fell in these values. And then what he would do is he would self-assess daily, daily on every value and give him basically a plus, minus, or an equal. And I don't know if that's exact, but did I win today or did I not? Yeah. And, and, it's, and it's okay to fail and it's okay to fail, but I, mean, I still you, value them. You think uh, about what that trying, dude, what striving. that dude in, did in France during the revolutionary war. I mean, he was, he was whining and dining and I mean, he, that he was a party animal. I mean, but he established what was necessary in order to get French to come into the war because he understood those, he understood the people. Right. But it's interesting because he did, he, he it was a plus minus equal and most times he failed. Sometimes he was good. Other days he was better. Sometimes he was bad. And he was okay. I think the cool thing about this is his concept of self-awareness that he was okay if he failed. I think sometimes we put too much on top of ourselves that if we fail, we give up. Yeah. And he never gave up with it. And that's the thing that I loved about reading through um, The Art of Virtue was he never gave up. He realized it was a lifelong pursuit. and. There were, there were opportunities for him to make better choices and make adjustments and also to justify, right? I used to, I used to talk about how justifications just, you know, you're only kind of screwing yourself when you justify things. But his concept of justification was I did this because, and he validated the reason why and, and how it went. And sometimes he was harder on himself than other days. But it's interesting as you get into it, is those concepts of being self-aware. So I read his book when I was like 19 and I immediately said, okay, well, what are mine? Mm-hmm. And, and what do I go through and how do I, how do I transition into a, a structure of core values? And I didn't want his, I wanted mine. I wanted something that like, how am I going to prioritize? And I, I put core values down as, as prioritize, how do you prioritize decisions? Mm-hmm. As well, because if those core values are a big part of who you are, how do you use them to prioritize your decisions? decisions, So are you guys saying, because I've heard you, you've mentioned core values a couple of times. Are you saying that by me looking for those things, those are my core values and I'm trying to see if he matches that with this person? I didn't think about it that way, but I, that's a, that's a cool thought. And I don't think there's, that's a a wrong approach. Way to be self-aware on that. I think that's a healthy approach. Well, because I haven't, I wasn't thinking about it as core values. I was thinking about it as, do you have the personality and sort of behavioral traits that will fit this environment? But ultimately, and, 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 and her name's Rachel. She's a master's in anthropology. Yeah. So Rachel is a good friend of mine. Um, we've been talking for a couple of years. She's, she, Recently got her master's in anthropology from Boise State University, and now she's um, she's teaching a couple of classes underneath the professor that sponsored her. And academia is like her strong point. Like she's brilliant when it comes down to being able to ask those deep questions right. to 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 drive out answers. Like yeah. she doesn't have solutions; she just knows how to get the research and how to dig deep into questions to be able to get you to think. And that's what. And I just wanted to stop for a minute, and 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 I'm glad you said that because. We're literally, we're not just kicking this around like this. We had a pretty deep conversation about this yeah. driven by a master's level, you know, someone who studied anthropology. But what she made me realize is, and you're may actually, you guys are helping me realize this too, is, you know, by asking the questions, well, are these even good traits to have in, in, in a culture? And, and like through the conversation with her, I realized I'm just projecting my own shit onto him. 
And I, by him, I mean the person I'm interviewing. I'm sort of like... But at the same time, you're trying to cultivate a certain environment and culture where that can be reciprocated. Yeah. To foster a foundation level of trust for future growth. Well, and right? I, I think I'm like, I'm, start, I'm starting to like walk my way into your train of thought again is, and by, by thinking, is that good though? Like, can you take it too far? I've worked with people that were too vulnerable on the yeah. spectrum. Yeah. yeah and yeah, I've worked yeah. with people that had too much humility, meaning like, you know, they, you need to have a little bit of confidence. It's confident humility. Remember? Like yeah, we yeah, yeah. a little bit of that. backbone. Yeah. yeah. Backbone. Like, yeah. Yep. I've worked with people. I don't know if I've worked with someone that's too self-aware, but like <laughs> if you're too vulnerable, then you, maybe you're oversharing too much. We've and if, worked with somebody that's too self-aware. <laughs> like, he's sitting right here with us what do you mean dude you are you you are probably i think out of everybody that i've ever worked with you dissect things personally and as a group and everything i think it comes from your background of of like clinical psychology i mean you have the ability to be self-aware and you're you're you challenge me to be more self-aware just because of your own self-awareness I think that's my father wound. <laughs> I, it, and you know, and it's, it's, it's every time dad, what do you think about? Like I'd go to talk to my, and, and I, he'll, I, he can hear this, but like I would go to him with something and he, even if he agreed with me, he would take the other side. And as I got older, he would take all the other sides and I would go, why can't you just take my side? And he would say, it's my job to make sure you consider all sides of this. Yeah. But, well, I do I that with do that. my kids. Yeah, I remember true. we. I remember we're flying down to Mexico, and Connor. I love freaking Connor, but he's so easy to like spin. Mm -hmm. And I started talking about flat Earth. I don't believe in flat Earth, but I knew Connor wouldn't. <laughs> so <laughs> I dug deep into flat Earth with Connor, and he was so pissed. Christine was like, "People think you're crazy. Stop talking so loud." But yeah, I mean, that's what dads do. We we push our kids. We don't make it easy. Ideally, we, we challenge them to think. Yeah, and not to go down the rabbit hole, but our wives do that too. Our wives do I, I think I would down. be remiss if I didn't say, like, I actually scored low on self-awareness at one point in my life, just so you know. I scored yeah. low on it. I do think I had capacity for it. Well, my I think, wife's brought I think Shonda has been a good influence on you as yeah. far as that because she's extremely self-aware. Oh, my gosh. You know what I mean? And she won't let you get by with anything. Oh, that, that, no, no. And, and if <laughs> you listen to the last podcast that she was on, she talks about her own self-awareness. Yes. Right. So being personally self-aware in work and relationships and 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 family. And I I had an experience and I've shared this with you guys. My sister, Mindy, um, Mindy showed tremendous self-awareness between her and I. Uh, several years ago, we were doing family pictures at Christmas time. And, and you know, everybody's like, Ryan's the photographer in the family because I took after my dad. And so you take the pictures. And so I'm trying to get everybody in place. And it just blew up between Mindy and I. I mean, it was stupid, dumb family drama blow up and, uh, and it hurt. It, it, it literally hurt, but I didn't do anything with it because I'm like, Mindy, my, my mom, my mom makes a comment about Mindy that she came out pissed or she came out mad and she's been mad ever since. Right. My mom would never use the word pissed. So sorry, mm. mom. <laughs> she came out mad and she's been mad ever since. Right. And, and Mindy has always been that that X factor in the family that man, she, she's direct. She'll tell you what she, who she is strong, amazingly strong personality and individual. 
um, has been through freaking hell and back in, in personal life and what's gone down. And I respect her completely. And I always have because of how strong she is, but our personalities conflict, right? I'm the extreme optimist. I'm always like, and I'm the happy loud one. Like, and so we conflict, but after that event, um, on that, on that, uh, Christmas or Thanksgiving in January, I got a text message from Mindy and it was a joke. And all it was, was a joke. And I laughed at it. And then every day she started sending me jokes and I, we started talking and she's like, I was like, I love these Mindy. Thank you. She's like, look, I just realized that we need to work on our relationship. Mm. And it was that own personal self-awareness in that family environment, in that family that those are hard, man. Cause you, your family, the only people, if you think about this, the only person you choose to be a part of your family is your wife. Hmm. everybody else is thrown in the mix and says like your parents, you don't get to choose your parents. You don't get to choose your siblings or your kids or your kids. You only get to choose your wife. And so man, make the choice. Um, but when it comes <laughs> down to it, dude, it's like my sister's vulnerability. And over the last several years of us just sharing jokes and dumb things has built a relationship of trust and, um, and equality and respect and love, which is not something like, it's funny because I used to be like, oh yeah, there's Callie and me and then Jared and Mindy. And then John is just in the middle. But like, I had a better relationship with my oldest sister, Callie, than I did with Mindy. And now I think they're equal Mm. because Mindy had that self-awareness and the vulnerability to put herself out there. And I reciprocated. And that's the beauty of what we're kind of talking yeah, about. Yeah, oh, I love it, dude. Because you could have shunned her or whatever, and she would have felt hurt from that. And but you didn't. She, she, yeah, I love that story. Yeah. I well, remember and, that too. And to bring it full circle, right? Like to to assess that in ourselves, self awareness and core values. It takes experiences, right? It, it would be easy for us to put up a list and say, hey. Of these 50 things, what do you value the most? What's, you know, a core value? And we could create all, create a list of three to 10 things that we value the most. I can, you know, you can say self-awareness, humility, vulnerability, or three of your core values, things that you value. I can say, and you've heard me say this a lot, like I'll sacrifice a lot in life, but I will never sacrifice my health or my family. Right. And so I, I profess that those are core values of mine. And, uh, well, this wasn't planning to show this, but, uh, we were in the airport coming home. I've been traveling a lot more this year than I have in the last five years com- combined. And uh, my wife's not loving it. And it's a sacrifice with three kids at home. And she three called- little kids. Yeah. Seven, five, and two, three little kids. So they're long days, long nights, hard for my wife. And she, she's, she said to me, like, I feel like your actions aren't supporting your words. What you say you value, I am not seeing. She called me out, right? And, mm. and I had to pause because I say I value health and family. Yet I've traveled more this year than I ever have, being away from my family more than I ever have in a long time. Um, and I'm not going to the gym and I'm not doing those things. And so to me, to truly assess your own values, you have to assess where you spend your time and where you spend your money. So if you could ask in an interview, show me your calendar and show me your bank account. Whoa. And I'll show you your values. That would be the true assessment. Yeah. That's never going to happen in an interview process. (laughs) Show me your bank account. Right. But that, but no matter how much we say we want something or we value something, 
it's shown by the votes we make with our time and our money. Yeah, my, um, Sean right? has said that to me before. Well, and, and, uh, and my wife just called me out and brought that again back to my attention. Yeah. Right? Like the, don't they say like the true measure of, of a man is what he does when nobody's looking, mm-hmm. what he does mm-hmm. in his own spare time? Like that use of time is, is, is dialed, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that tells you a lot. Again, you're not going to get that in an interview, but you could tie that to situational questions that says, what do you like doing when you're, when you don't have anything yeah. to do? I think the kicker for me is I was asking these, cause I, I just, I actually really appreciate this person on Twitter because it disagreeing with me. And I guess we could go down a whole rabbit hole of, you know, sharing your thoughts publicly. Um, <laughs> but I wouldn't have got here if that person didn't push back, but that what I ultimately got to was, um, cause people were throwing out all kinds of examples like, well, I probably shouldn't say I'm a perfectionist then. I probably shouldn't say I'm this, you know, the whole weakness poses a strength or the strength poses a weakness. Yeah. Yeah. But to me, it just comes down to, are you aware of how that's a problem, how that can be a problem and the constraints that you've put in place to mitigate that? Because ultimately, and oftentimes our weaknesses are also our biggest strengths. Yeah. Well, and you think about it. (laughs) majority of our life is spent in the workplace, right? I mean, 40 to 50, sometimes 60 hours a week in the workplace, right? The other part of that is sleeping. Like we have a finite time (laughs) that we can truly spend with family and friends and, and ourselves, right? So being able to identify how this affects the workplace and how this affects personally because you're right, Spencer, we try to compartmentalize what goes on. Um, and I think guys do a much better job than, than women do in compartmentalizing. Um, but at the same time, Shonda brought this up and I thought this was really, really cool in her last podcast is that you can't separate work and home and it's all a blend. It's a blend and a balance. And I, and, and that balance is going to be out of whack during different situations, a different part of life, but it's how do you bring it back? She's learned a lot then. Cause she's always said, it's not, it's not business. It's personal. And I've always felt like business is personal for me yeah. because I'm, I spend more, more time with yeah. business people than I do my own family oftentimes. And to your point, like you value family and health, but also you have to build something to give you the time to value family and health. Um, balance is bogus yeah. at times. So it's like, it's integration, you know, and it's, that's interesting. I haven't listened to that yet, but uh, it's a good one. It, yeah. it, it's a good one. She stands, I mean, Shonda does such a great job anyways, but um, there were some good points in there and she actually said my name finally once. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Look guys, I, I love this conversation. Um, just kind of wrap it up with some final thoughts. I think that it's, it's important just to your point, it's important to be able to identify good fit, right? And and in life, personality, personal, and, and fit for a, a situation, a job. I mean, we've been going back and forth about different projects and like, is this a good fit? Right. Are we aligned? Right. And and Spencer, dude, you're right. When it comes down to it, the only way to know is freaking go kick the tires. Yeah, I think that's I think it's it's always it's triangulating, it's it's qualitative and quantitative. It's Qualitative is, is that, that, 
the initial conversation and the, the quantitative is the 90 days or the 60 days or whatever you want to call it. In mm-hmm. fact, you know, actually in 30 days, right. I think, but. Well, and, and that's why it's like, if you're someone going through the hiring process, trying, yeah, identify what values matter to you for your team and to your company, for your company environment and culture and ask questions around those and see if you can do other things to get a pulse or pull it out of people. But then, yeah, when you actually are working with them, look at their bank account and their calendar. Where do they spend their time and money and see if that truly assesses and be okay if it doesn't line up after the fact. Don't make the hiring process so robust and time intensive that it's a sunk cost that then you have a struggle like firing somebody because you put so much time into it. Like. Um, but then if you're the, on the other side of the equation, if you're, if you're hunting for opportunities and being interviewed, like do the same thing, be self-aware enough to know what you value Yeah, and, and judge. be okay and yeah. be okay to be vulnerable in a conversation or pull vulnerability out of who's yeah. interviewing you. So you can assess, do you want to be a part of that? Yes. That's a great point. Yeah. It's um, not always and that's, on the, and that's it, the full circle. It needs to go both ways. It's not always on the person doing the interview. It Absolutely. Needs to be, if, if you're truly seeking an opportunity for growth, then go into there being vulnerable. I, and you will stand out as a candidate because 99% of candidates do not do that. Yep. They just pray and spray resumes and go through as many interviews as they can and leave it at that. Yep. I'm glad you wore your hat. Thanks. It looks cool. Do you like my hat? Your hat's always. <laughs> Tell me you like my hat. You just, the, what movie is that from? I don't remember. Dude, far and away. I don't know that one. Tom Cruise. He 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 uh, he was a he was like street boxing or like arena boxing, and he was winning, and so he bought a bunch of hats, and he wore a different hat every day. And the girl, like Nicole Kidman, was playing, and she. Was oh like, yeah, your silly hat. She's like, "Tell me you like my hat." <laughs> Anyways, all right, love you guys. Thanks for the conversation. Yeah, this yeah, was yeah. Thanks. It was good. Ciao. Yeah.